0: We said, As I said before, we're looking at an overview of what the Bible says about suffering, so we're going to be jumping around a few different places. Uh, um, uh, but let me, let me start on a personal note. Um, a friend of mine, uh, his name was Dougal, uh, and I met him when I was involved in the Christian fellowship of the university, they call it the Evangelical Union, uh, in uh, my first year of university in Australia. Not very long ago. I um, don't know why you're laughing. Australians like to shorten people's names. Uh, from, so Dugo became Dukes. Uh, and he was two or three years ahead of me. Uh, and uh, quickly we became friends. So I was in first year, and I think he kind of saw this first year guy coming in. and uh, So he wanted to follow me up, and, and he did. Uh, we used to play badminton together. We used to pray together. Uh, We used to read the Bible together, um, dream dreams together, uh, have a really good time. Uh, And he he was someone who who shared his faith and his life with me. Uh, He was someone who kind of like looked after Mila as a a first year. Uh, He had a deep love for God. Uh, He was passionate about the cross. Uh, He was full of godly character. Uh, He is a dear brother whom I loved and respected. Uh, And one day I heard that he was in hospital with appendicitis. Uh, And uh, I went to visit him the day he was discharged. Uh, Went up to his house, took a train up into the hills where his house was. And and, uh, I found him, he was really happy. Uh, He was really excited. Uh, And he said that God had spoken to him while he was in hospital. And God was going to bring a revival in Adelaide. Uh, He was going to do mighty work. Uh, Lots of good things were going to happen. Uh, and God was going to use some of the some of the people that He and I both really respected as, as Bible teachers, uh, and people whose love for Him had grown cold would would, would come alive and, and become very zealous for God, and the gospel go out, and many people become Christians, and the Spirit would move, and and uh, and uh, it, was, it was just really exciting to hear. Now, I wasn't completely convinced. Uh, you know, when people say these kind of things, you always take it with a bit of salt, lah. Huh? Uh, but this is Dougal, you know, and I know he's, uh, he's, he's full of integrity. Um, uh, and so we, we, we prayed together, um, and we gave thanks to God, and, and I went home rejoicing, uh, really happy. Uh, I remember singing as I was walking to the, to the trains. No one on the streets in Adelaide, so you can do that. Uh, and uh, really encouraged. Uh, God is good. A few days later... Um, uh, another friend of mine uh, uh, called me aside and and took me to a a small room uh, near the chapel at the university. Uh, And he sat down and he said, look, I've got to share something with you. Um, And it turns out that Dukes was dead. Um, His body had been found just a few hours after I last met him. uh, At the bottom of an open staircase outside a hotel in another part of town, uh, in the north of the city. And to this day, I I don't know what happened. Uh, Did he jump? Why would he jump? Why does he push? What? what, I don't know. Uh, And never had had any answers. Never had answers. Um, The night I found out about Duke's death, I remember uh, walking back to my house and uh, looking up in the sky. Now, one thing different about Adelaide and KL is you can see all the stars in the sky. I uh, remember looking up in the sky and saying, all the stars and saying, God, if you are there, then why? God, if you are there, then why? It just didn't seem fair. What is God doing? Yeah? This is... This is his servant. This is a man who loves him. This is a man who trusts him, who believes him. How can, how can this be? Uh, the things that he thought, were they, were they deceptions? And, and if so, how could God allow him so to be deceived that that this has happened? Uh, and has he taken his own life? It doesn't make sense. And Why would God do that? Um, how could God let this happen to, to someone who who loved him so deeply, um, and that became a really big question for me. Um, I know that may be very small compared to some of the things that you've gone through. Uh, some of the things that might trigger questions like that for you. Uh, I know I've met many people, uh, both in medicine and in ministry, uh, for whom you know the question. This is a small thing lah, compared with compared with what, what they face. Uh, but all of us know, uh, and those of us who don't know, will know, uh, that suffering is a big problem in this world, isn't it? It's a fact of life. Philosophically, uh, atheists make it a logical error. right? They say that suffering means they cannot be an all-powerful, all-loving God. Because uh, they say, well, if God is all-powerful and all-loving, then he can and he would prevent suffering. Uh, so suffering in this world means there cannot be a... either God doesn't exist or he's not all-powerful or he's not all-loving. Uh, that's, that's an error because logically you could just as well say that um, it could also mean that an all-powerful, all-loving God does exist but has a loving reason, reason for permitting suffering. Uh, so if you want to pursue that, those lines philosophically and you like reading books with big words. You can look at philosophers like Alvin Platinger. Uh, or if you want to take a shortcut, then quickly go and change your elective to Farshitz 1 um, <laughs> for the next one. Uh, but for most of us, that's not, that's not where we're really at. Um, uh, it's not, this is not a philosophical question. Uh, it's an issue of the heart. Uh, we want to know, can I really trust God uh, in a world like this? Can I really trust God? Uh, And in a world that seems so unjust in so many different ways, can I actually believe a loving God rules it all? When we look at what the scriptures say, uh, the whole Bible actually gives us perspective uh, on this. And to to, to look at that, what I want us to do is to have a look at the perspective right from the beginning, and then look at the perspective at the end, and then we see... uh, then we look at the middle uh, and, and see how we get along. Right, now, the picture that God paints for us at the beginning of the Bible, uh, in Genesis 1 and 2, uh, as you know, that's a far cry uh, from what we see today. In Genesis 1, God, God says that creation is, is very good, isn't it? Uh, it's very good. And in Genesis 2, God places the man uh, in the garden to work it, to take care of it. Uh, he enjoys enjoy it. He makes it good. Uh, and, and Adam and Eve live in, in blissful relationship, not only with each other, uh, but also with God. Uh, uh, life is is uh, is worth living to the full. There's, there's nothing to hinder that. It's perfect relationship with God, uh, with each other, uh, with the environment around. But then we also know, after that, problem comes the comes the fall, isn't it? Right when we rebel against God, uh, where Adam and Eve decide to go their own way rather than God's way. And God commands Adam not to eat of the uh, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, on the pain of death, uh, Adam follows his wife, was deceived by the serpent, and together they've, they're eating and they're expelled from the garden. Uh, God curses the ground, uh, which means that therefore the whole creation uh, is affected by this. Because sin has implications for the whole world. Remember just now in Romans 8, what did we read? We said the whole creation is groaning as in childbirth until now. All right? And so the first thing we notice is that suffering in this world exists because, because of sin, isn't it? Right? Because there's sin in the world. Uh, the Human race has, has um, mucked up things. We spoil our relationship with our Creator, so we live outside the garden and we live in a world of sin, of suffering and pain. We live in a fallen world. and That is the nature of this world. Now this doesn't mean there is a relationship one-to-one between how much someone sins and how much someone suffers. Right? Never draw that line uh, because it's not necessarily the case. But suffering exists because sin exists. Uh, it's like pollution. Lah, right? If none of us had cars or electricity or you know, no burn things, then there'd be no pollution. It right? may not be any fun, but there won't be any pollution. Right? Uh, it doesn't mean the person who pollutes the most is affected the most by the pollution. Uh, it, just, it doesn't you can you know, drive off a car that gives the worst black smoke and still be healthy or you can ride a bicycle uh, and uh, you still get all the fumes uh, and you are affected And so there's not a one to one relationship in that way but sin is in the world because, uh, su- suffering is in the world uh, because sin is in the world and there are some very good people who can kind of suffer really badly uh, and there are crooks who kind of like look like they get away with everything uh, and it doesn't seem fair sometimes. So that's what happens. That's the, that's the picture from the beginning. All right? Good creation, spoiled uh, by sin. Uh, let's look at the picture at the end. Uh, come with me to, to Revelation 21. Come to Revelation 21. There's a wonderful promise here. It's a promise of a time when all the effects of the fall uh, are reversed, Uh, when that closeness of fellowship that was in the garden is is restored. Uh, God lives with us and God's loving rule uh, is established once again. Revelation 21. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from a throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain any more. For the old order of things is done away, is passed away. Isn't that a wonderful picture? All right? it's, it's God and his people. It's, the, the most important thing about this is that we are with God. All right? We are God's people. We are with him. He is our God. We are his people. That is restored. And when that is restored in the perfection, the perfection of everything else is restored. There's no more sin, no more suffering, uh, no more mourning, no more crying, no pain. Um, and that, my friend, that is, that is what we are made for. That is what we are made for. Uh, to be God's people, in God's place, under God's blessing and rule. And that's why this world is so frustrating uh, at times, because actually we are created for something better. We're created for that. Um, we go around this world trying to find fulfillment, but that's elusive. Because this is the fulfillment. That's, 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 that's the... If we're ducks, that's the water. Okay? Uh, that's the thing that we want. Uh, and the new heaven and new earth, we find that fulfillment, but not in a selfish way, but in relationship with God and His people. Uh, that's what we're going for. So that's the picture of the end, but that picture of the end also comes with another picture, doesn't it? Uh, it's not just this end in 21. If you go back, go start a little bit up to the end of verse, chapter 20, we see another picture which is a picture of judgment. In verse 11, you see a great white throne, and him who is seated upon it, from his presence earth and sky fled away, and there is no place found for them. Right, this is, God is a judge. Uh, and the whole creation uh, uh, um, is ended before him. It's the end of the world as we know it. And it's a universal judgment. In verse 12 it says, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. God's no respecter of persons, right? great and small <laughs> you might be great or small in this small thing here but when you come there no, no, you, you don't bring your titles with you yeah? standing before the throne and the books are open this, this judgment is objective isn't it right? the books are open you, you could, we can kind of like justify ourselves by rationalization or by short memory, once I've forgotten about it then it's ok really, right but no, no, the books are open. Yeah? Uh, and the books don't lie. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. Ah, that's really, really important. We'll come back to that in a tick. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they have done. So this judgment is just. Right? It's according to what people have done. Right? It's objective. It is just. Uh, the dead are judged according to what is written in the books, according to what they've done. And the sea gave up the dead that was in them. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. They would judge each one of them, according to what they've done. And the death and death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. And that is the second death, the lake of fire. All right, so that's a, that's a final. It's a final judgment. Uh, that's the end. Uh, and then, well, verse 15 tells us, how do, I, how do you escape that? Because it says in verse 15, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Ah, And so, okay, the judge, according to what they've done, but how you escape that is not according to what you've done, but having your name in this book of life. Uh, And early on in Revelation, we see it's the Lamb's book of life. And the Lamb, of course, is the Lord Jesus who died for us. And so what it's saying is if we belong to him, that's how we escape that. Right? And that's because, well, as we're saying just now, isn't it? Our judgment—we belong to Jesus. Our judgment was at the cross, uh, two thousand years ago, uh, and that because we're in Christ, and our judgment, we faced that in Christ two thousand years ago, uh, that we are in the Book of Life, uh, and Jesus says, "Those who believe in Him shall not perish, shall not face that lake of fire, but have eternal life." Apart from that mercy, because this judgment is on top of mercy, isn't it? Judgment is judgment, sorry, judgment is judgment, right? Uh, book of life is mercy, right? Judgment is is fair, Uh, and judgment is done and is seen to be done. Now, the fact that there is a judgment at the end, uh, and a justice is done and seen to be done, uh, means that That actually gives us a perspective on suffering now, because we know uh, that God brings judgment at the end. Uh, Other parts of the Bible tell us that God takes into account degrees of responsibility uh, when working out degrees of punishment. Uh, He can take into account how, how people would have responded if circumstances were different. Uh, and he says, you know, if Sodom and Gomorrah, you, you know, it would be worse for Solomon for, 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 for you guys, Jesus says, than for Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Because if I preach in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. There's, you know, he, he, uh, God, God, God knows those things. Uh, uh, and so all the things he can take into account what people have already suffered uh, uh, when, when, when bringing about the final judgment. Right? So... That's why you have to leave the final judgment to Him. He's the one who can do it, uh, not us. In this world, justice is not done. Uh, In this world, we don't see justice. We see evil people doing things and getting away with it. Um, We see good, kind, decent people in all kinds of troubles that they don't deserve relative to other people. Um, How do you know about justice? It's only because of this. Uh, that God will bring justice in the end. Right? Let me tell you a story about justice. Um, imagine Shimron. Right? There's Shimron sitting at the front here. Okay? This story is not about Shimron. Okay? Let's, let, let's imagine a certain um, person whose name is Shimron. Okay? <laughs> um, and uh, he decides that he's going to become a con man. Right? And he's going to cheat you. Uh, and so he offers you, he says, look, you know, I can give you this brilliant yield if you put your, your money into this investment. Uh, and you think, wow, very good, huh? Okay, okay, okay. Mortgage my house. Take the money give it to, uh give it to this person called Shimron. Uh, uh, and then what happens is he gives you the first month. Wow, very, very good. Okay, okay, put some more. Put some more. And to everything I've got plus all the things I don't have is all inside there. And then next month he not get anything. Hey, eh? what's happened? Oh, he's disappeared. Uh, and he's, you find out that he skipped the country. And you've got all these debts, and you're in big trouble. Now, is that just? No, it's not just, is it? And you think, okay, I've got to get it. I've got to get. I've got to do something. So you complain. You, you take it to the. You take it to the authorities. You, they make a police report. Um, but as he's already left the country, they don't know where he is, uh, can't do anything. Is that just? Not just. Then he's discovered living it up in America. Going to Las Vegas and all those places, spending all your money and Gambling in and watching shows and, and all those things, and you, you, you've heard about it because you're still friends with him on Facebook and you see all the photographs. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, is that just? Is that just? No. Now, what if you can actually work out that he's there, the inform the authorities, the authorities contact Interpol, the Americans arrest him. They extradite him, they send him back here, he gets arrested, uh, he has to stand trial, you, you get back everything you, you lost, uh, plus you get, um, what do you call it, compensation for you know, pain and uh, emotional trauma and all those things, and he goes to jail. Is that just? Is that just? Yes, it is. Now, that's a story about justice, isn't it? But you had to wait for the end of the story to know that it's a story about justice. If I stop the story at when he took your money, you'd say it's a story about injustice. If I stop the story when he went to America, you'd say it's a story about injustice. If I stop the story when he was in Las Vegas on your Facebook, you'd say it's a story about injustice. But if I go to the end of the story, you say, "Ah." This is a story about justice. When we look at this world, we must look at it from the perspective of the end of the story. You cannot look at it halfway through the story. If you look at it halfway through the story, you'll say it's a story about injustice. Wait till the end of the story. Wait till the final judgment. Then you'll say it's a story about Justice. Because God promises that justice will be done, and we seem to be done. Right? So the end gives you a perspective on justice. The end also gives you a perspective on, on glory. Um, we saw. Uh, I, I, I read a true story about a, a young man in England uh, who shattered his back at the age of one. Uh, and was constantly in and out of hospital. He was interviewed in church uh, by a guy called Gavin Reed. He was in, and in the course of his interview, um, the, uh, the young man made a comment, something about God being fair. And, the, and the, uh, the interviewer said, hang on here, how old are you? And he goes, um, I'm, uh, how much are you, 17, right? Uh, and he goes, okay, how many years have you spent in hospital? And the young man says, 13. And he says, well, do you think that's fair? And he said, look, God has got all eternity to make it up to me. He's got all eternity. 13, 17. Right. Remember what we read in Romans? In fact, that, uh, that Yokeling uh, quoted just now. Um, Our present suffering in this world is not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, that is, not, that is not to minimize the present suffering. Not at all. That's the context of Romans 8. Paul is talking about what? The core creation groaning as we wait for our redemption. And yet he says that present suffering <coughs> is not worth comparing to the glory that's to be revealed. So not, it's not minimizing the suffering. It is showing how big is the glory. Right? Uh, it's showing how big is the glory. God has a future in eternity for His people is that is so magnificent that even the deepest anguish we go through now is small in comparison. Right? When you get to the end, then all the suffering we see now is like, you know, you go to the doctor and get a jab before you go for your holiday. Right? Now, wow, it is so big. Then, the glory is so big, so much bigger, that that's what it feels like. And so, Understanding the end, both the new creation and the final judgment, gives us perspective on suffering now. Does that make sense? Okay. It also gives us a perspective with regards to salvation. You see, if you went to the doctor um, uh, with central crushing chest pain... Radiating to your left jaw, and you're flushed and you're, you know, you're sweating and you feel a bit nauseous. Um, the problem, doctor will probably give you some pain relief for your chest pain. But you hope they'll do a little bit more than that, wouldn't you? Right? Because why? You're having a heart attack, most likely. Huh? And the chest pain is just the symptom. Right? Suffering in this world is a symptom of the fall. It's a symptom that the world is out of step with God. Uh, and sure, Christians are committed to relieving suffering. We want to relieve suffering, don't we? Right? And uh, we, you, know, you want to give the, the analgesia, and that's good, and that's right. But in the end, that's just dealing with the symptoms. Right? Until people come into a relationship with God, it's like giving someone with a heart attack, giving them Panadol. It's very good to give them pain relief. But you, it's more important, even better, to deal with the underlying problem. Right? Because being saved from that final judgment and the lake of fire and being part of that new creation, that's, that's even more important, isn't it? Than the relief of suffering now. Right? Jesus says, "What is the profit of man? You get the whole world and you lose your own soul. And so, there are very, very sad things I see. But the saddest thing is when people die without Christ. That's the worst thing. Uh, And so, as we think of, uh, and so understanding the end also gives us that perspective uh, on suffering now. And can I say, if there's anyone here who hasn't put their trust in Christ yet, if you haven't known that, yes, you have been saved by Christ, And he's taking you to the new creation and not to the final judgment uh, and the lake of fire. If you haven't come to that point yet, please sort it out this camp. Don't go home on Sunday without getting that sorted out. That's the most important thing. Okay, so we've looked at the beginning. We've looked at the end. Uh, But we're living in the middle, aren't we? Uh, What does the Bible say about suffering in the middle? Um, Now there seem to be two complementary strands of um, illustration uh, in the Bible uh, about suffering, and you see, see them in your handout. First of all, uh, suffering can be uh, a punishment from God, uh, prefiguring, if you like, the final judgment. Okay? It can be a punishment from God, it can be a prefiguring of the final judgment. And secondly, we see that the righteous still suffer uh, when it's not a punishment from God. Uh, the righteous still suffer, and sometimes people suffer even because they are God's people. Uh, okay? And you can see both those things. Uh, you can see both those things, both in the Old and New Testament. When you think about the Old Testament, we'll, we'll talk about the first one first. Um, um, in Genesis 6, you see the violence, the corruption of humankind, and what does God do? He sends the flood. Yeah? Uh, In Genesis 19, he destroys Solomon and Gomorrah. In Exodus, he punishes the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues uh, because uh, they oppose the liberation of God's people. In Numbers, Miriam is made a leper as a judgment. In Deuteronomy, the people of Israel are warned uh, if they disobey God, they get smitten with all kinds of calamities. In Joshua, whole cities are destroyed by Israelite armies, which God uses to punish their wickedness. It's a a judgment thing. Uh, That's that's why that's happening. Uh, In the Judges... God punishes Israel uh, with foreign occupation when they sin. Uh, Jerusalem is besieged because of the sin of God's people and they go into exile but that's only a small picture of that final judgment. Um, And so, in the New Testament, what do you see? Well, we've already seen that that big final judgment in the New Testament that comes at the end but you see glimpses of it uh, beforehand as well. You see people like Ananias and Sapphira being slain, falling down, who lied to the Holy Spirit. Uh, You see who opposed Paul, who was blinded. You see the Corinthians, uh, who Paul says, some of you have fallen sick and some of you have died because you're, you're misusing the Lord's Supper by not loving each other. Um, in Revelation 9, God sends disasters and plagues on humankind. Uh, and here's what it says in 9, verse 20, the rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of all the things they had done wrong. Uh, and then God's final judgment comes. right? Um, So sometimes suffering can be a punishment from God. uh, And it can be a warning from God. Uh, I know that's the one side I kind of usually tend to ignore because there's probably a reaction to the crude and wrong and hurtful assumption that some people have that automatically that must be the case. Um, And usually I have to persuade people who are suffering that they're not being punished uh, rather than the other way around. Um, uh, but, but sometimes, even for God's people, uh, God can use things to discipline us, isn't it? Uh, uh, not, not, not in anger, that he, like, because that, that's been dealt with at the cross, um, uh, but in a love that is training us for our holiness. Uh, Come with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews 12, God says this. Hebrews 12, uh, verse 5 to 10. Or go to 11, I think. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, or be weary when reproved by him. For The Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father doesn't discipline? If you are left without discipline, which we have all participated, then your illegitimate children are not sons. Beside this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of our spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness." For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Right? So there's, there's a discipline that God brings. Uh, and so when I, when, I, when I go through suffering, I must always have an attitude of repentance. and i am always been asking myself, is there, is there some sin in my life that God is pointing out, that God is showing me uh, through these circumstances? there something I need to learn. Uh, there may be, there may not be. Right? And if there is, then there might be areas that I need to repent, uh, and it may not be, uh, and there may not be, and then that's then okay. Now. Um, uh, but don't be too quick to conclude that that's the case, uh, especially when talking about other people. Right? Because the second strand of teaching that goes through the Bible is about the righteous suffering. Um, uh, and when I talk about righteous, I'm not saying you know, at one level there's no one righteous, uh, except Christ, the righteous one. Uh, but we're talking about people who, who belong to God, uh, who, who, are, who, are, who are His people, uh, who are living godly lives. Uh, we've got people like Abel in Genesis, who was killed by Cain. Uh, you have Abraham and Sarah, who suffer for years of infertility. Uh, you have Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, who is raped, and what's, what's she done wrong? Uh, you've got Joseph, who is sent by, into slavery uh, by his brothers, and he's accused and he's in prison. Uh, You've got the in the Exodus, you've got the the people of Israel who are enslaved by the cruel Egyptians. You've got uh, Naomi in Ruth, who's bitter about the tragic death of both her sons. Um, In 1 Samuel, you've got Jonathan, who's who's a good man. He's a faithful friend of David, and yet he dies together with Saul uh, in the battle. Uh, You've got Naboth, who's stoned to death on trumped-up charges when wicked King Ahab wants his field. And you've got Josiah, the king of Judah, the great king who brings about wonderful reformation, reestablishes the true worship of God, and he's killed in battle. Um, and you've got the psalmist who's often complaining and crying out to God, and what we've been looking at this morning and what we'll look at in the la- next couple of, couple of days. Right? God's prophets suffer as much as anyone else. We've got Jeremiah who's thrown down into a cistern uh, and left to starve. Later he's rescued, but then he lives through the siege of Jerusalem, then he gets kidnapped. And you know. Uh, and then you've got Hosea, who is a wife, who is an adulteress. And, and you've got all the examples throughout the Old Testament. And of course, the big, big one is Job. There's Job, a righteous man. The right? Bible says he's blameless and upright. He fears God. He shuns evil. And with God's permission, Satan strikes Job with tragedy. His children are killed. His possessions are lost. And he's afflicted with painful sores from head to foot, and his friends come and try and help him, but they're not very helpful. Well, they say, oh, no, you must have done something wrong La, to deserve this. You better repent. And uh, they're trying to defend God and when Job complains, but they say, no, oh, no, you must have sinned, you must have sinned. You better repent. Right? And they were wrong. And God said they were foolish. Because they only had half the picture, and they were trying to make Job squeeze into, squeeze into that. And the New Testament, uh, remember in John 9, Jesus and his disciples come across a man who was born blind, and they jump to the same conclusion as Job's friends, didn't it, and they said, Oh, gee, Rabbi, is it whose sin? Was it this man or his parents that he was born blind? And Jesus says, Neither. This happened, the work of God might be manifest in his life. In Acts, the Christians are persecuted and arrested and flogged and imprisoned and put to death. In 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about his suffering, endurance, trouble, hardship, distress. Beatings, imprisonment, riots, hard work, sleepless nights, hunger. He talks in chapter 12 about a messenger of Satan, a thorn in the flesh, whatever that is, to, to, sent to torment him three times, uh, torment him lest he become conceited. And, and three times he pleads with God, please take this away. And what does God say? He says, My grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in your weakness. So God doesn't remove Paul's suffering. Um, in 2 Timothy 4.20, he writes that his associate uh, Trophimus is sick, and, and the great apostle Paul leaves him sick. Uh, God heals many people in the Bible. God doesn't heal him. Christians face illness. Christians face persecution. Some of you saw about that in the in the elective today. Uh, Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3 that... Anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. And Apostle Peter says if we suffer for for, for doing good, we are blessed. And Jesus tells us, blessed are you uh, when people persecute. You say all kinds of terrible things about you because of me. And so we can expect sickness and suffering for being part of this fallen world. We expect persecution for being Christian. And that's all part of the package, isn't it? Romans 8.17 says we, we... Share in Christ's sufferings in order that we share in his glory. Suffering first, and then glory later. That's the, that's the package. That's what, that's what happened to Jesus, and that's what happens to us. Right. Uh, and yet, we, we still have perspective because we know that God is in control. Right. One of the things that sometimes Christians do in order to try and uh, uh, defend God, uh, if you like, in a world of sufferings, oh, actually God doesn't really have everything under control. I, well, no lah, you can't say that. Yeah? Uh, the Bible doesn't even hint anywhere that this is outside of God's sovereignty. No, 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 no. Uh, both, whether it's strand one or strand two, right, God's sovereignty is, is affirmed. So don't, don't try and, and solve the problem of suffering by uh, attributing impotence to God. That's, that's not the way to do it. Uh, God is always in control. Deuteronomy thirty two thirty nine. Deuteronomy thirty two thirty nine. God says, see now I, even I am he. There is no God besides me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. There is none that can deliver from my hand. There is none. And of course we read just now Romans 8.28 that God works all things for the good of those who love him. Right? Who have been called for according to his purpose. And what's the good that he was working for? Right? Those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. He's right? goal is that we should become like Christ. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. So God working everything to bring us to Jesus and to bring us to glory. Uh, And so in Romans 5, we're told that even in suffering, we can rejoice. In fact, we rejoice in our sufferings. Uh, Let me read to you from Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. See the perspective of the future. We rejoice in that future. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Right? So God is using suffering in order to grow us, to produce character, endurance, and all those things. Right? His goal is to make us like Christ and to bring us to glory. Um, and all those things, right, God is at work. And we know this hope is real because the Holy Spirit pours the love of God into our hearts. And how does he do that? Well, in verse 6 to, verse six to 9, uh, he shows us the cross. We'll come back to look at the cross a little bit later on. But that's what the Spirit does, isn't he? It shows us the cross, and he shows us God's love. Um, that's how we know. But, it's sometimes too hard to accept, isn't it? Right? Okay, we know God's in control. And that's good, because you know that your loving Father limits uh, what, what, what happens, it, but it's still hard to accept uh, the people still starve to death. Uh, terrible things happen to, to children, uh, tragedy strikes, and you think, okay, justice is going to be done in the end, yes, everything will be fine in the end, end of the story, okay, but why do we have to go through all this pain now? Right? Where is God when the earthquakes happen and you know, thousands of people uh, die? Uh, in Nepal, or where is God when when planes fall out of the sky, or when your friend commits suicide, or someone you love passes away, or the business goes sour, or uh, your your husband leaves you for another woman, or your your family situation becomes unbearable, or or depression takes over, and you feel like you're in this terrible hole, and you can't come out, And, and you say, yeah, okay, he's bringing in the new heaven and new earth, everything's good in the end, and he's working through all this for your good. And he's got a loving reason to permit it? All that yes. But actually easy for him to say, lah. Can I trust him when all that's happening? When I'm in the middle of it. That's the question, isn't it? Right? Uh, can I trust God who let Dukes die when all Dukes want to do is serve him? Right? That's that's actually the question that, that I was pondering. Uh, in the months after Duke's death, um, I, I doubted God uh, on, on my own, on the inside. Outside, everything okay. Right? But inside, struggling. Uh, uh, I kept asking him to help me because actually I know in the end he's right. I know in the end he's right. Um, uh, and so I kept on struggling with him rather than away from him, that makes sense. Um, I couldn't deny the historical evidence for for Christ's resurrection. I knew God existed. I knew that that Jesus is God. But sometimes one day, is he really good? I don't know if anyone here kind of feels that way sometimes. Uh, If you think with me back to Job, uh, when when Job complained to God about his suffering, God didn't condemn Job. Uh, He didn't explain why Job was suffering. What did he do? He showed him his greatness, didn't he? He showed him how great he is. He said, okay... (coughs) Uh, and when God showed him his greatness, uh, then Job repented. He repented not of the sin that caused his suffering, because it wasn't that, but he repented of not really trusting God uh, in the midst of it. And God eventually restored him. Now friends, we have a revelation of God's greatness that's far bigger than what God showed to Job. That is, we have Christ. Remember how the Holy Spirit helps us, how the Holy Spirit convinces us of our hope. That hope doesn't disappoint us because God pours His love into our hearts by the Spirit. And the very next verse, it shows about Christ and His death and how we know God loves us because Christ died for us. Because there at the cross, actually, there at the cross, we see both at strand one and strand two. Right? We see both God punishing sin and we see the righteous one suffering. Um... And that's the one point in the whole of history where we see both those things happening at the same time. Because Jesus is that perfectly righteous one. In fact, he's the only truly righteous one. Uh, He's the one who has no sin, who deserves no punishment, and yet he is smitten by God, he's afflicted, he hangs on the cross, suffering not only the, the, the terrible physical torture of it all, uh, not only the psychological agony of, of betrayal and shame, uh, but the ultimate spiritual anguish of, of uh, being forsaken by the Father. Now uh, The righteous one suffers. And yet at the same time, that suffering was suffering for sin, isn't it? Uh, not his sin, but your sin, my sin. He used the lamb that, that, that took our lake of fire. Uh, in himself on the cross, so that our names can be in the book of life. Uh, No one in all eternity will suffer as much as he. Uh, If he has taken the eternal punishment for each one of us, then no one will suffer ever as much as he. Uh, And only he can do that, because he's God. So what does the cross tell us about God? Well, now this is the most important thing, right? If you've been sleeping all night, now mind, it's okay, now you wake up, all right? Uh, what does the cross tell us about God? Well, first of all, it shows us that God can bring good out of evil. God can bring good out of evil, right? We see that in the rest of the Bible, don't we? Remember how Joseph, uh, in the Old Testament, uh, Joseph, who was, sent to e- who was sent to Egypt, and all these terrible things happened to him, at the end of the story... He's speaking to his brothers and he says, you know, you all meant it for evil and God meant it for good. Right? Do not have to say if you are. Uh, and that's, that's, that's right. Uh, and you see that biggest, 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 biggest at the cross. There you have evil men doing their evil thing. It's a really, really evil thing, isn't it? That this one perfect righteous one comes and what do we do? We put false charges against him. We treat him in an unjust way, we spit on him, we crucify him, we kill him. That's a really evil thing. Uh, That's that's human sin. Uh, And yet God uses that terrible, terrible evil to bring about the great good. Uh, That through Jesus and his death on the cross, we have forgiveness and we have life. God is a God who brings good out of evil. It doesn't make the evil any less evil. Uh, but we have a God who is bigger, who brings good out of evil. Secondly, it shows us that God is just. Right? We've talked about perspective from the end. we talk about, yes, justice will happen in the end. How do we know? Can you really be sure that that's going to be the case? Well, you look at the cross. Because at the cross, you see God really, really, really is concerned for justice. Right? If God was not so concerned for justice and God wants to forgive us, ah, yeah, never mind, lah. close one eye. Okay? But no, God doesn't do that. In order to forgive us and to be just, his son has to die on that cross. He's got to go through that. Now, that is how committed God is to justice. Can there be any doubt, if God is willing to do that, can there be any doubt that what he says about justice at the end of the day, he will do? He will do. Right? We show that God is just. The third thing, it shows us that God loves us. Remember Romans 5 again. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus says, no greater love has anyone than this, that they should lay down their life for their friend. That's what Jesus did for us, isn't it? When you look at the cross, you see your God hanging there for you. You see Him bearing your sin, your punishment, for you. That is the ultimate sacrifice. He's bearing your hell for you. That is the ultimate sacrifice. How can He show you His love any bigger than that? No matter what happens no matter how bad things get, no matter what, what, whatever happens in your, your life or my life, nothing can change the fact that He loves us and that He has shown us that love in the ultimate way. And the Spirit takes that and pours it into our hearts, shows us the cross. And if you look at the cross and you see what Jesus has done for you there, then you say, does He love me? You have to say, Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Can I trust a God like that? Can I trust a God who loves me that much? You have to say yes. And finally, in the end, it shows that in the death of Christ, God suffers as well. What we can say is that, you know, we still don't understand why God allows suffering. We don't understand it all. No, we don't. Uh, what we do know is that he doesn't just sit up there in some kind of oblivious kind of thing. Okay, okay, you know, it's for the higher good. It's all going to work out in the end. So you all suffer lah and hey, be good in the end. Don't worry. Yeah? No, 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 no. In the cross, God is there in the thick of it. By bearing our sins, he has understood suffering and loneliness and agony more than anyone else can and anyone else will. There's nothing that we can go through that God doesn't know, uh, and, and, and God doesn't understand. Uh, he's, he's, uh, uh, he, he's taken his own medicine, if you like. He hasn't said, okay, you do it for the higher good. No, he's come, uh, and he suffered for us, and he suffered with us. Let me read you a quote from John Stott in his book, The Cross of Christ. Really good book. Uh, let me read to you. He said, I could, I could myself never believe in God if it were not for the cross. The only God I believe is the one Nietzsche ridiculed as God on a cross. In a real world of pain, how could one worship a God who is immune to it? I have entered many Buddhist temples in different Asian countries and stood respectfully before the statue of the Buddha, his legs crossed, arms folded, eyes closed, a ghost of a smile playing across his mouth, a remote look on his face, detached from the agonies of the world. But each time, after a while, I've had to turn away. And in imagination, I've turned instead to that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross. Nails through hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry and intolerably thirsty, plunge into God-forsaken darkness. That is God for me. He laid aside his immunity to pain. He entered our world of flesh and blood and tears and death. He suffered for us. Our sufferings become manageable in the light of His. There's still a question mark against human suffering, but over it we boldly stamp another mark, the cross, which symbolizes divine suffering. The cross of Christ is God's only self-justification in such a world as ours. The gospel doesn't end at the cross, though, does it? After the cross comes, resurrection. And the one who suffered and died was raised from the dead. That pain and torture that he went through, the injustice he put up with, the agonies, of the cross, it, it, was, it was all worthwhile because Jesus in his resurrection shows that no matter how hopeless things seem now, God will eventually reverse the situation, he will vindicate his people, he will bring about his purposes, and not even death can stop that. And so the resurrection shows God's triumph. And because of Jesus' resurrection, we know that we also will be raised. After the cross comes the resurrection. And we will be raised and we will be with Him in glory. Again, where there is that no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Part of that that new creation. Jesus' resurrection, His exaltation, uh, makes it worthwhile. And Jesus can say, Ah, yes, that glory is bigger. All right? then, the, then the suffering. For the joy that is before Him, He goes through that suffering. And we've got the joy set before us as well. So how do we respond to, to suffering as we look at the big picture of suffering in the Bible? Well, if you're someone, as I mentioned before, if you're someone who hasn't yet responded to God's, God's, God's forgiveness through Jesus, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord, then in the nicest possible way, can I say, please take suffering as a warning. Please take it as a warning. Okay? The, world, the, the fact that the world, suffering means the world is broken, something is wrong. It tells you that something's wrong. You know already. You're just looking at the world, you know something's wrong. Things are not the way they're meant to be, and the Bible tells us what is wrong, and what the answer is, what the solution is. So you must, must, must turn to Jesus. That's your only hope. If you're a believer... What we must do with suffering is we must we, we, we must hold fast uh, to Christ in the midst of suffering, isn't it? We mustn't let suffering become something that takes us away from God. It uh, must be uh, people who hold fast to Christ in, in, in suffering. Um, sometimes we get the... Sometimes people give... Uh, a, a false expectation that somehow or other if you're God's people that you won't suffer. Okay, now, we know that's not right. Now. Okay? Uh, and if we're real in our community, we will know uh, among ourselves that's not right. Um, so let's, let, let's not give that expectation to other people. Uh, let's not keep that expectation ourselves. We will suffer. We will grieve. Uh, we'll go through pain and sorrow and, 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 uh, and, and all kinds of problems. Uh, We will face persecution. Uh, We do what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Uh, We need to keep entrusting ourselves to God. We need to keep talking with God about it. Uh, As we look at the Psalms, we're given uh, given ways of doing that. Uh, And we've been looking at that. Uh, We need to cast our cares on God. We know that he cares for us. We look at the cross. Does he care for you? Yes so you can cast your cares on him, you can talk to him. Right? It may sometimes feel like he's far away, that he's not there, that he's not listening. Actually he is. Right? Sometimes it, Sometimes when you're going through bad times, what it feels like is not what it really is, isn't it? Right? Uh, and um, It might feel like someone is angry with you and you say, are you angry with me? No, no I'm not. Right? And you know sometimes we like that with God, it feels like he's far away, then how do you ask? You look at the Bible. You look at the cross. Look at his promises. Right? Uh, he says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we come to him honestly in prayer. Uh, we allow him to change us and mold us through suffering. Uh, we're always going to see see, other uh, things that we need to change, other things that we need to, to grow. Uh, if we endure, if we persevere in the midst of suffering, if we hang on to Christ in the midst of suffering, our faith is, ex- is stretched. It grows. It expands. And we produce character. Character, hope. And hope doesn't disappoint us. No matter how bad things are, we keep confident that God is in the throne. That He is good. That He's working for our good. We keep looking back to the cross. We keep looking, keep looking forward to glory. And we keep on helping each other. We keep on meeting together to support each other in suffering. And we keep remembering that part of the way God helps us is through each other uh, and making sure we, 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 we do that. And we remind each other of God's promises and we spur each other on to love and good deeds as we see the day approaching. Let me just close with a few of of Jok Ling's words uh, from her sharing this evening. She said this, We are broken people living in a broken world, stained by sin, but we have a great Savior and a great hope. For our present suffering is not really worth comparing to the glory that's to be revealed to us. And she said this, How I long for the day when suffering cease and sorrow dies and every longing satisfied. Until that day comes, my brothers and sisters, let us learn to carry one another's burdens. Let us keep pointing each other to our great Saviour, Jesus Christ, who alone is our sure hope and solid rock in times of great suffering. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, you are indeed our, our sure hope and, and, and solid rock. You are the God who has created us. You are the God who holds us in your hands. You are the God who is sovereign over all things and uh, even over suffering. You're the God who's going to bring about justice in the end. And we trust you for that. You are God who's promised to bring in the new creation. And we hope for that and we wait for that with eager expectation. And as we grow now, and as we face all the different things that each one of us will face at different times in our lives, we pray that you help us to go through them with you and with your people we pray that your spirit will keep pointing us back to Christ will keep pointing us to the cross that we see your justice and your love and your commitment to, to to bring good out of evil we pray that your spirit will keep pointing us to the resurrection to the life of the world to come We pray that your Spirit will help us to love each other, uh, to support each other, and to keep helping each other hold fast to Christ uh, in the midst of suffering and pain. And to be showing that love in in practical ways of of service to each other in in, in whatever the needs that we face are. Father, we pray that you make us a community of your people, who more and more reflect the character of Christ, who more and more reflect the love of Christ, uh, and who keep on holding fast and trusting uh, in Christ, our Savior, uh, and hold fast to him until the very end. So help us, keep us, transform us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.